is a proud man. I admire that. You're done. I'm so sorry. We're both sorry. I was telling her the story. It just, it just, it just fell out of the we'll, we'll search and find we it another one, I promise. Quiet! you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. What we've got here is failure to communicate. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. Whatever appears emerges as raw experience for those who watch it. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. Hello, and welcome to Sorted Cinema, official podcast of SortedCinema.com. My name is Simon Howell. I'm joined by Ricky D. Konnichiwa. And Patrick Murphy. I'm just going to say hello. Hello, Patrick. <laughs> um, TIFF <laughs> is over, but our coverage is not. I've got some writing left to do. Better get um, on it. I trust me. I've got I've I've got a review of uh, Lucretia Martel's Zama sitting in my Google Drive, waiting to be uh, waiting for an edit. And I've got a couple other things I want to write about as well. Um, I just got to give uh, a big shout out to Simon, Victor Stiff, Chelsea, Edgar, and I believe Christopher Cross. Am I missing someone? Yeah. Anyways, you guys delivered some amazing coverage. I think we have 35 reviews of the Toronto International Film Festival in our very first year covering it over at Goomba Stomp slash Shorted Cinema, which is awesome. I, I think, I estimate that we're going to have about 40 plus reviews by the end of the week. So thank you very much. Um, and this is a reminder to our listeners, please check out our website because you will find some amazing articles like Patrick's review of a movie that we're about to talk about today. And we're always looking for writers, so, you know. Keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> so, I actually had a really good tip. Like, it's funny because this is the year that, I don't know how much attention you've been paying to this, Ricky, or and or Patrick, but um, this was the year that TIFF actually got some press scrutiny and had a lot of people saying, you know, what's going on with this festival? It got bigger and bigger and bigger until suddenly now it shrunk. And, you know, there was all this news about uh, lowered attendance last year and how they've tried to respond to that. And anyway, and I've heard lots of things from inside and outside the festival. However, I just by virtue of the films that I chose, I ended up having like a mostly very pleasant experience. I made sure to stay away from, you know, stuff that I knew was going to be opening, like Mother, which opened during the festival. Um, we'll talk about that later. Um, I saw some really great stuff. The Martell film, uh, Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Um, the death of Stalin, I really enjoyed uh, a couple others as, as well that uh, I, that some of which I'll be writing about anyway, do check out our coverage over at sort Uh, next yeah. week, next week, we're going to be a week late, but next week I'm going to be inviting the 
GS crew over on our podcast to talk about Tiff and the best movies you've watched. All right. So it's going to be fun. We're going to, I didn't even know that was a thing until just now. So yeah, let's do that. Uh, anyway, Simon, you really got to check your messages. Like I know, man. I got I this, this going on. Anyway, I just I just learned I won't be on next week's podcast. <laughs> Suck it, Patrick. <laughs> anyway, uh, now to talk about a film that was at TIFF, um, but of, of course none of us actually saw it there. It's a little movie that you might have heard some chatter on the interwebs about. It's called Mother with an exclamation mark by Darren Aronofsky. Let's hear a clip. Why don't you want kids? Excuse me? <laughs> you know, you're not going to be so young forever. Have kids. Then you'll be creating something together. That's what keeps the marriage going. This, this is all just setting. Oh, you do want them. You're back on Sorted Cinema. We're here to talk about a little movie called Mother. Again, exclamation mark. Can't forget that. Starring uh, Jennifer Lawrence as the titular mother. No exclamation mark or question mark. Um, also in lowercase, yes, we should clarify that. Um, who appears to live at, appears to live for reasons we'll get into, uh, in the country in a, uh, in a lovely but somewhat, uh, somewhat run-down old home. Um, with her partner, husband, it's never, I don't know if they're ever actually explicit, I guess they are explicitly referred to as husband and wife, with her husband, uh, Javier Bardem, credited only as him, which is capitalized, and um, everything seems to be going all right, she's fixing up the house, he's trying to write, uh, an, um, He's he seems to be a, a poet of some kind, he's trying to get his new work done, having some difficulty, uh, until a couple shows up, played by Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer, can I just say that uh, Aronofsky needs to make a Batman film and put Michelle Pfeiffer in it? As Batman? <laughs> <laughs> no. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, they're simply credited as man and woman. Um, and then at that point, things start to go a little bit batshit crazy. But I guess we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Just in case, I need to make very clear right now, this is not the kind of movie you can talk about without spoiling things. And the trailers, such as they are, have been extremely oblique and have not gotten into plot details at all, as they should not. Uh, we will. So if you want to stay unspoiled, don't listen to this podcast. However, it's not really a movie you can spoil, I don't think. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, anyway, just going to do that now. All right, Patrick, uh, you may remember when we went to see It last week that there was a, a new and special trailer for this film attached in which... Uh, like, it was literally, for anyone who didn't see it, you can look it up now. They marketed this movie to look like a 70s grindhouse film. And in big, like, uh, in big, like, impact-type letters, you know, an announcer says, This movie will mess you up. It's <laughs> yeah. just, like, so, like, basically, they, 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 they I swear, I swear they took someone from the WWE for that. Um Anyway, I mean, how did your audience respond to this movie? Is because I, I I have some things to say about that, but like it were, did it? Did you feel like your audience was expecting? Wait to the tra bit... to that trailer or no, to, to this, this movie. movie? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say the audience was stone faced to that trailer. I think I might have giggled out loud a, a couple of times during it. Um, to this movie. Uh, all right. So I would say, if you had passed out tomatoes ahead of the screening, 
then the theater would have been covered in red. <laughs> um, I never heard this is the stupidest fucking movie I've ever seen so many times walking out of theater and during the movie, I should say. Uh, there was a lot of talking during this movie, which I, I personally can't stand for the most part. Like, I, I like to, you know, have absolute silence so that I can immerse myself in this. But people were really, really confused. <laughs> and I, I think they were going in there expecting some sort of mystery, you know, murder mystery haunted house movie that they could solve. And they got something they were completely and utterly unprepared for. Uh, and they hated it. Just hated it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've never seen anything like that in a theater before. But yeah. But before I get to how I actually feel about the movie, I just have to relate that I got up from my seat. And the, 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 people were actually pretty quiet during the movie, except for a little bit of, you know, what the fuck is going on. Um, and I was getting up and I heard this guy behind me, I think two rows back, saying, you know, I was expecting like a normal movie, but instead it was this. <laughs> I just thought that was that was that guy should be a critic. <laughs> That's Gene Shallot right there. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, uh, the the next to me it was like three Japanese girls, and they were only talking Japanese, and that was actually kind of a relief. And they were saying, "This is the stupidest fucking." Movie they ever. probably were, yeah. <laughs> they they didn't seem overjoyed. Anyway, but Patrick, did you did you share their befuddlement and rage? Okay, not at all. Actually, I found this movie to be utterly fascinating. I mean, it's a challenge. <laughs> There's no question. Uh, all right, right off the bat, I have to say this: like, I I had seen, you know, heard whispers of, oh, mother's really crazy, mother's going to be insane. You know, you can't. It's hard not to pay attention to some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't read any reviews going in, but I, I knew that people were saying that it was kind of a Gonzo movie, right? So I was prepared and and hoping for Gonzo filmmaking. Um, but it's it's hard to watch this movie if you don't figure out pretty early on that this is not supposed to be reality, that this is supposed to be that everything on screen is supposed to represent something else. If you keep watching this movie as something literal and as, the, you know, like as if these people are actual characters, then it's going to drive you insane. Because you know, I have no idea what's going on, and that, I think, is what most of the people were doing. And some I critics have been driven insane by this movie, we should, we should yes. clarify. Yes, I, I've got, since read many reviews, some of which are absolutely hilarious. Um, I particularly liked Owen Gleiberman's, uh, it's an allegory! <laughs> he had a lot of fun with that one. But anyway, I... I, I really liked, uh, I was sorry, I have to mention this, because I was just on a podcast with him. Adam Naiman hasn't written a review, as far as I know, but he did have a tweet which was just, uh, it gets an F for effort. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, well, Simon, you told me that Rex Reed hated a movie called it like, the worst movie of the century. And yes, he did. I responded saying, if Rex Reed called it the worst movie of the century, that's reason enough for me to call it the best movie of the year. So I completely disagree with the F for effort thing. Like there is so much effort put into this movie. I've never, I, it's been a long time since I've seen a movie with this much personal passion in oh, it. No, I, I think he was, I think he was punning. I think he, he was recognizing that there was a lot of effort involved and he still hated it. I think. Oh, I see. Okay. And that's totally different. Like I totally understand why people hate this movie, but I did pick up on, on at least what I consider to be the most obvious allegory pretty early on. Uh, the whole biblical thing. I am well versed in all of those stories, and I'm a big fan of Noah. And I've seen that like six or seven times. And, and Aronofsky like 
<laughs> copied some of his own stuff, essentially, uh, especially the Cain and Abel part. But uh, yeah, so I was viewing it as that. And I was, you know, I, at that point, I was anticipating what was going to happen. Nothing in the story became a surprise to me, even some of the more gruesome bits towards the, the end. I knew what was I knew it was coming because it was just following that story. So right. for me, it was more about just watching the chaos unfold and uh, and sort of having a good time with that. And then just sort of paying attention to how he was getting everything across. Um, yeah, I, I, I loved it. I, I mean, I loved it. I don't know. But I really, really, really <laughs> liked it <laughs> in some ways. It was very frustrating. It's a tough watch. And we can get into how he shoots the whole thing and everything because I had a, a love-hate relationship with how he shot this movie. I would be completely annoyed by it. Then I'd be kind of digging it. And then I'd be really annoyed at it again and then by the end i was just kind of sitting back relaxing and enjoying the ride uh now ricky i understand you saw the film under let's say less than optimal circumstances yeah so here's the thing so i'm just going to get it out of the way really quick so listeners could sort of get an understanding as to where i'm coming from so i went to i wanted to go see the movie on thursday only i couldn't because patrick and i were recording our video game podcast on thursday so i went to go see it on friday which was a huge mistake because friday was really bad day for me i was really having a bad day it was a terrible day and i was really depressed and this is not the kind of movie you want to see when you're really depressed in any case, I went to go see the movie. So I, you, you phoned me that night, and I told you, Simon, I'm like, I'm struggling with the film. I admire the movie. There's a lot I like about it, but I'm struggling with the movie, and I think it's because I went in, and because I was feeling so down, I think it impacted my viewing of the film. And there's one more thing I have to say quickly. Like, I don't want to turn this into like a 60 minute like therapy session for Ricky D, but. Because of a personal tragedy, I am a little bit more sensitive when I watch a movie and a baby dies. Okay, I'll leave it at that. And so I had a huge problem with the baby scene, which we'll get to eventually. Uh-huh. And because of that, because of a personal tragedy in my life, because I was in such a bad mood, I walked out of the movie thinking, I admire this movie. I'm not entirely sure if I love it. Like I was a little bit confused and mixed thinking about the movie it's now been what four or five days since scott released yeah thinking about the movie um i gotta tell you i love this movie and and so here's the thing simon so walking in i knew i knew we were gonna get a really fucked up ending just based on like tweets like i i don't like to read anything about movies i don't read reviews or articles about a movie until i watched a movie then i like to read reviews i like to read articles i like to see what people think right but because of Twitter, because of Facebook, because of social media, I knew we were going to get a real fucked up ending because everyone was like, the ending is fucked up. I think we're going to be using the F word quite a bit here on this podcast. So when I was watching the movie, because, you know, it's, it deals with this relationship, like put aside the biblical references, but because it's focusing on these two characters, a married couple, and because there's mention of a baby. And I mean, the first word spoken in this movie is baby right away from the opening frame. You know, there's going to be a baby that comes into play. So I kept thinking, there's also I, a clue in the title. There's also a clue in the title. Yes. But, <laughs> but still, but I mean, like, let's say you didn't watch a trailer. You can go and thinking that maybe they already have a baby. I'm talking about like right away, right, yeah. as soon as it opens. And so I honest to God thought that we were going to get a climax that resembled something similar to Brian Usna's Society. Now, if you've never seen Society, 
you should, especially if you like horror films, the ending of that movie is just as crazy as the ending of this film. But in that movie, there is this really grotesque orgy that breaks out. And because we had these house guests, Michelle Pfeiffer and Ed Harris, and because they were, you know, at times very sexual, because she was having sort of like issues with her husband in, in, in the sense that he would not sleep with her. I like for the first half of the movie, I was expecting something really messed up to happen, but something completely different. I mm. got to say, I got to say, this is a horror film. OK, I love horror movies. And the thing is, is that I think for anyone who actually loves horror movies, like really loves horror movies, you, you expect a good horror film to get a rise out of you, like to make you sweat, to make your palms sweat, to, to make to, to, to have your hands tightly grip onto the armrest, to make your eyes widen, like your jaw drop, to make you shocked, to make you feel something and not necessarily a good feeling. And I think this film does all of that and more. It offers the WTF disbelief, right? But it grabs your attention and it, it dares you not to look away. And as someone who loves horror movies, I got to tell you, this is, is quickly shooting up to the, to the top of the list as one of my favorite films of the year so far. And, and I think it's like I, like I struggled with the movie. Like I really did. And I, I will say... That I do think that there, it wasn't necessary for Darren Aronofsky to choose to show the baby's neck snap, even if it was a split second, and to actually show the baby, like the corpse, like basically to show these people feeding on the baby. Like there was ways to imply that, that biblical reference, without necessarily showing the gore. And so I don't get angry or upset at someone who walks out of this movie and is upset that they just watched this movie. Like I get it. Like you know, it's fine. Like, if you have a strong reaction to those very graphic, violent scenes, then you have every right to have that reaction. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't think that people should be making people feel bad for for not understanding the film, for not realizing that there's biblical references, um, for not even liking the movie. It's fine. It's a really tough watch. It's a really hard movie to like. And even if someone listens to our podcast and all three of us like the movie, which I think we do... It doesn't necessarily mean that that person's going to walk away and want to watch this movie again and or even like the movie or reconsider how they feel about the movie. But, you know, I watch a lot of messed up movies in my life. Um, I was at the world premiere for Serbian film, of which not one but two people passed out. I think the ambulance was called. During the Q&A, there was an audience member who was so livid, he got into a huge fight with the director. They had to escort him out of the building. I was there for I Spit on Your Grave, the remake Two people passed out. One person fell down the stairs. We had to call 911. There was I blood everywhere. You were there, right? You know, I just mentioned Brian Usna's Society. I think one of my favorite movies is Pasolini Sallow, which is a movie I never, ever want to watch again. But I, I just think that movie's fantastic. So, you know, watching this movie, it's, it's sort of like, it's one of those movies that, I mean, it's a tough watch. It's a, it's a really, and, and but the thing is, technically... Like, you know, I want to hear what Patrick has to say about the actual cinematography, but on a technical level, like there's a lot of skill here. I think I think one of the big problems is that, you know, Paramount marketed this movie to an audience has, as you said, Simon, like a 70s psychological thriller. It even had a poster similar to Rosemary's Baby. So a lot of people I know went to go see the movie thinking that they were going to see a psychological thriller in the vein of Rosemary's Baby. 
Yeah, but I mean, instead they got one in the vein of repulsion. <laughs> and yeah, I, I exactly. thought it was going to be like Rosemary's Baby when I went in there. Anyhow, I have a lot to say about the movie, as I'm sure you do too. But I'll let you cut in and let us know what you think first. That means um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I still don't really know, to be honest. Like I, I saw it on Friday night, opening night. Well, I guess technically Thursday is opening night now. Um, and it's been really interesting to read people's interpretations of the film. Um, there was a good piece in Salon by John Semley, and his when he was talking about the movie, he took um, he took Javier Bardem to represent God and Jennifer Lawrence to represent humanity, which is like I maybe there's a valid interpretation there, but it's more or less exactly the opposite of the one that I took not even after the movie was over thinking back on it, but while watching it, I mean, there are scenes where, I mean, besides mother, mother nature, the obvious connection there, you know, we have scenes of, we seem to be watching the unfolding of all human history, right? Like where we have scenes of, you know, minor struggles, riot cops show up. There's uh, la- there's labor disputes. There's uh, there's a, a rave at one point. There's yes, there's, there seems to be some sort of Holocaust going on executions. Um, and, we're seeing like centuries go by in seconds of screen time. And this, and that all seems to be on the side of the Javier Bardem character. It seems to be coming from, from his world, not from hers. It, it seems very much like they're the human realm and Jennifer Lawrence's character is coming from somewhere else. So I, I, I tend towards a fairly straight reading of her being mother nature. And then these other forces being humanity Clearly, the biblical parallels are there. The reading that I take objection to on a certain level, um, and this is something that I think we have to talk about, is I've seen a few critics, including uh, people that I sort of know, um, talk about this as a misogyny piece and talk about um, how they think uh, because of what the Jennifer Lawrence character goes through in this film and the way that uh, the camera is constantly on her, including in some in some cases on her body, which I have a specific objection to that objection, but we'll get there later. Um, because of all this and be- because of what happens, specific- especially in the final couple reels of the movie where things get real ugly, um, that they think that um, Aronofsky is a misogynist and or that he only cares about uh, female characters through the prism of suffering. Um, to which I would only say, like, I don't want to... I don't want to make this like the entire thing of the podcast, but like I've, I've heard people argue for this as a feminist film and I've heard people argue for it as a misogynist film. And I think the, the boring uncomfortable truth is that it's probably somewhere in between. And like, I don't think that I think it should be okay for there to be a middle ground where I don't think that, that mother is a great film for championing all the things that women can be. And I, but I also don't think that, I have I have no evidence to support the idea that Aronofsky hates women. Um, I think the fact that he's and I, I hesitate to even bring it up, except for the fact that it's been brought up a lot. The fact that Aronofsky is dating Jennifer Lawrence in real life has added a certain element to a lot of people's critiques that's gotten a little bit too personal for my liking. Um, I mean, it's 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 fine if people want to do that. It's just I don't know people. I, I had uh, I noticed someone on my Twitter feed. I think it was um, guest of the Lodgers, uh, Ethan, um, asking. If uh, if uh, Stephen McHattie in this movie was supposed to be Daniel Craig, that's a joke that some people at home are going to get. 
anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I I I I think there's some valid there there's some validity to some of the critiques. Um, but I, I, the the only other thing that I want to mention is that like it's also been interesting because so much of the movie Rex Reed and his hilarious review uh, claims that we are on Jennifer Lawrence's face for 66 minutes of this film. I don't know how he clocked that or where he got that stat from, but it sounds right. Uh, like I was we, gonna say it seemed like almost half on it, her that face or behind half. her head. One of the yeah. two, but it's, it's on. It's her. it's very much from her perspective. At least yeah. half the film. I would say about 99% of the film is shot in her point of view. We do get one or two exterior shots of the actual house, the opening midway through the film. I think it's the halfway point and the ending goes a little bit bonkers, but the camera is always behind her shoulders or focusing on her, what she sees or what she can't see or glimpses of what she can see, but not the whole entire scene unfolding. But I, I would argue against anyone that says that about Aronofsky, Simon, because in this movie, like there is a, a quote in which Jennifer Lawrence's character says it's always about you. And she's talking to him, the character played by Javier Bardem. But the thing is, in this movie, it's not about him. It's about her. The whole entire film is about her every step of the way. And not just because of the way it's shot, not just, be, not just because it's in her point of view. It's all about her. Yes. And I think and that's how Aronofsky responds to that sort of like criticism. I mean, to the point where he puts her front and center and the whole entire film is basically about her. And I think there's a love for this character. And so that's why I just don't understand that reading at all. But, you know, for sure, for sure, there's going to be several readings of the film and it will vary. Well, I think he wrote the film in five days. And to be did, totally yeah. honest, it feels unprocessed. Like it feels like he was still thinking about the script and the film as he was making the movie. And I read an interview with him and he was talking about the structure because this movie is split in half. There's part one and part two. And or at least the first act and second act. I honestly guy think that put aside the biblical references and, you know, everything that you just mentioned, Simon, I think there's a lot of self-examination going on here on the part of, of the director. Not to say that he is making the character him out to be the director, him, him Aronofsky, but just it feels like really, truly, this is um, just really about a relationship between an artist and his muse and and that's the most simplistic way to read the movie but i don't think there's anything wrong in reading the movie that way like i now really, here i really I, do think sorry i really do think that this is a deeply personal journey and i think in some ways it's his most personal film and so again there are environmental themes and biblical references but beyond all that and beyond that bonkers like 30 minutes towards the end like the climax um I just kind of felt that that's what the movie is really about. It's about it's it's like, I mean, there's more to it, but I think that's why it works. Like, I think the movie works and I think that's what makes the movie so good. There there are multiple ways to read the movie and it works either way. I, I mean, you can say that maybe the simplest way was for you. Right. But what I want to say is there's there are I agree with you. There's so many ways to to go into this movie and read it. What people are saying about this, if you see misogyny, that's you, 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 you brought that to the movie and that's what you were looking for. I don't think that anything like that was up first and foremost. I don't think the marriage stuff is first and foremost. I don't think that, you know, him putting his relationships front and center in this movie is 
is first and foremost either. I think every individual is going to go into this seeing what they want to see in it. They're going to have a different take. I mean, for me, the biblical stuff was so obvious that this was just Aronofsky's view of humanity, something he continued over from Noah. He he clearly thinks that mankind is is worthy of being wiped out in many ways. Uh, that has done nothing, you know, but but destroy Mother Earth. And I actually took, I mean, Mother, like, Jennifer Lawrence's character is clearly not Mother Earth. That's the house. The house is Earth. She's just kind of the spirit, I guess, of the Earth or whatever you want to say. But the house is the little Earth, if you if you will. Um, but, I mean, I thought that was the most obvious thing. So we all see what we bring to it, right? I mean, I bring a lot of religious study into, into stuff like that. Um and anybody's going to see what they want to see. All of it's there. That's the crazy thing about this movie. Like, it's all there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what this. I'm saying. That, that's what I'm saying. That's why it works. It works no matter which way you read it. And I'm not, I'm not dismissing the way you're reading it or because all of that is there. It's blunt. It's brazen. It's in your face. But the thing is, he set out to write this movie. Like, he wrote it in five days. And when he set out to make it, he said the first act, he was focusing on an arrogant celebrity, in this case, a poet, and his quiet, neglected wife. And it's about this artist who thinks he's above everyone and like sacrifices everything in his life for his art, for his work. And that is in the movie. Like everything else is there too, but that is in the movie. And that's how the movie started. From there, it just grew and became something bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think, I think it's, I think it's amazing that when you walk away from this film, everything, like all of these, everything in this movie, like, you know, when we say some, like when we, you know, when we talk about like Twin Peaks, for example, did David Lynch do that? just for the sake of doing it or does it have like a deeper meaning like i think in this film like everything has a deeper meaning and is there for a specific reason well the just to address sort of something that patrick said i i mean the the potential misogyny is something that i've seen at least i don't know a half dozen female critics and, and writers pick up on i and i'm i'm loath to just say it's not there like it's i think that i mean first of all I think if if you're really sick of seeing women just be like really um, set upon in a movie, then Mother is probably going to upset you because it's a very a, pre, a fairly extreme example of that. And you know, clearly there is like a long and storied history of that happening in less than savory ways in film culture. And I'm 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 hesitant slash like I just won't just like dismiss those concerns out of hand. Um, on the other hand, people who I I am kind of inclined to dismiss people who see this purely as a movie about the difficult birth of art and how like, you know, sometimes sacrifice is necessary in the creation of art because nothing in this movie is focused on whatever it is that Javier Bardem's character is doing. We never see the art. We never get to experience it. Um, we don't see any of how it's made. We, we have no empathy for that character. We have no investment in his, in his process um, the movie isn't at all concerned with that aspect. I don't really see how the movie is sitting with him in any meaningful way at all. And I think there is, it all depends, his character, how you view him. Well, first of all, I have to say this right off the bat. Like people, uh, if people are seeing things like misogyny in this or, or other human relationship issues, um, I guess my whole thing is right off the bat, nobody was acting like a human being. All well, no, but that's aliens. that's not that's not where they're coming from with it. They're saying, "What is the story that Aronofsky cho- chose to tell, and how did he cho- how did he choose to tell it?" You well, know, he didn't I, cho- choose to tell a, a, a story about a woman being beaten down because there is no woman in this story. 
There's well, simply but she's still played by a woman, and she has the she has the affect on us of being a physical human woman. Like that's I, I they're, know they're, I understand they're connecting that. that with other depictions of women. I don't I don't think and, we can evade that just by saying she is a metaphor. That's why I say though they're bringing that to the table. I don't think he's bringing that at all. Look, if you want to see that, then you're going to see it. Like that's that's your own issue. But I don't think that that's in okay. The but it's. Framing it as an issue as opposed to something that people are picking up on as a le- like legitimate stimulus is like a little bit much. I, I I mean, that might be your opinion. I completely disregard stuff like that because I think it is not constructive as far as talking about a movie. It's sensationalizing something that wasn't even there. Um, I think it's OK to talk about those issues if that but to accuse something when <laughs> To me, there's if somebody gets hurt in a movie and happens to be a woman, does that make the movie misogynist? That's ridiculous. Yes, some bad things happen to mother, uh, and however you choose to view it, that's well. Fine. No, I I think the argument is more that Aronofsky is isn't interested in the character except as a vehicle for suffering. Yeah, because he has a he has an agenda and it has nothing to do with men and women. I mean, I, I <laughs> well, okay, well, we may have to set that aside, but I just I, I think it's I think it's a little bit. Reduc- reductive to dismiss that as just other people's quote issues as opposed to I will be reductive to that. <laughs> but you, you know, you know, but Simon, you know what the problem is? Is when a movie like this gets released, and this is not the first time it's happened. It's happened. It's, it's happened several times with many, many movies in the past, and not just because they feature violent, horrific scenes. It could be anything, but like you know, even even a movie like um, 2001: A Space Odyssey, a lot of critics said it was like garbage when it was released. But the thing is, one, someone like Rex Reed, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to pick on this man. I don't know this man, but it's just I just happen to know that this I read his review. OK, when he claims that it's the worst movie of the century, like which that, was funny, which which is funny, but it's also stupid because it's like that is when you get such extreme reactions to a movie. And that is when you just sort of like ignore having an actual real conversation about the movie and the art form and and just actual actually talk about the movie from an artistic point of view and have a serious conversation like i just i i do i i reject that sort of criticism and i know he's like you know a huge film critic i'm not a big fan of his writing but i just i just i hate i hate it when people do that that's when you get these stupid opinion pieces written. Like you get 20,000 opinion pieces based on someone's extreme rant. And I don't even buy it. Like, I don't even think he, but like, okay, first of all, can we all just agree that Transformers 2 is the worst movie ever made? Okay. <laughs> but no, seriously, like, I just don't even I, buy it. Like I get it. You don't like the movie. It's fine. But when you, when you make that kind of claim, like that grand sort of like hyperbolic claim, it just, it doesn't help at all. No, it's it's sensationalizing. You're just going to the extreme to provoke a reaction from your readers or your audience. I don't know. Everybody needs everything to feel everything so deeply these days. I honestly did not have any strong emotional reaction to this movie other than appreciating the artistry and the passion behind it. I, I just don't. I, I, I find it interesting, people's reactions, and it tells me more about them than it does about the movie. Um, this was a, a well-made movie that could hardly be called the worst movie of the century. And if you don't agree with what the guy is saying or what you think he's saying, that's fine. But it clearly came from the heart. And uh, Aronofsky's wearing his heart on his sleeve in this one. And he's... Well, <laughs> and it's, I mean, you guys have talked about the the baby scene, which I don't even think is the most upsetting part of that sequence. Like, Well, no, the may- most upsetting maybe... part of the sequence is perhaps when she gets beaten 
But for me personally, it's the most upsetting sequence yeah. in a movie because of something happened with right. my family. Yeah. Right. So that's that's you can't you can't like someone can't get mad at me for walking out of the theater and feeling destroyed. And, you know, I, I took to social media after I saw the movie and what I wrote on Facebook and Twitter was I was like, for those of you who ask, because there's people who ask for my opinion, believe it or not, when it comes to movies, for those of you who have asked. I do not recommend you see this movie, see it at your own risk. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying don't see the movie. I would never tell anyone not to see a movie. See as many movies as you can. All I'm saying is I don't want to be responsible for recommending this movie because this movie can make people feel like shit and can anger people. That's all I'm saying. I think it's a great movie. I just don't want to recommend it. Well, and to to finish my thought from a second ago, like maybe it was because, you know, it was so obviously CG and maybe because um, for like other reasons that are my thing, um, I wasn't that upset with the baby thing. And also there was some telegraphing of it going on as well. Um, I was not expecting just how vicious the beating sequence was going to be. It's 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 not very long. It's probably only about ten seconds. Um, but you know, this is a, a face that's very familiar to us. She's thrown on the ground, beaten, kicked, partially stripped, called a cunt repeatedly. Um, and by the time she gets out, she's like very visibly scarred. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would definitely hesitate before if you know I have female friends who've been sexually assaulted, physically assaulted, and I would. S- seriously think twice before I, I would i would have to give it a serious thought if i was thinking about recommending it to uh, any of my female friends um not that i think that that scene was like entirely the source of people's misgivings about it but i did but it's it stood out for it stood out to me as being the most shocking like i my, my mouth was agape and i was gasping and having just seen kaniba last week i didn't think any screen violence was going to affect me for a while but it turns out i was wrong so congrats to aronofsky um, but to, but to sort of pivot a little bit, um, I mean, I think it's probably actually one of my least favorite Aronofsky films. I do like it and I, I admire its moxie and I'm certainly not going to forget it anytime soon, but I think it's actually that hopelessness that, um, that Patrick described that nihilism, that, that, uh, misanthropy that runs through this movie that kind of feels like a crutch to me and doesn't actually, like, I don't actually find that viewpoint all that interesting, um, it's, it's very reductive. It's very bleak. It's very easy. Um, it might be, who, who knows? It might be accurate. Maybe we, maybe the planet is doomed and we're all completely qu- like quadrifucked forever. Um, I recently just saw another film about this very subject, um, by Paul Schrader, which I'll talk about at some point in the, in the distant future. And I thought that dealt with it in a much more interesting way, but, um, I don't know. I don't find that that sort of nihilism is super interesting or super deep, um, and that when I realized that that's what the movie was mostly up to, I was a little bit disappointed, but I will say like the, I think the level of filmmaking, the, um, especially when you get to that second half and, and you are just like racing through human history in seconds at a time and, you know, people are coming in through the walls and breaking everything and the intensity level and the stress levels are so high. Like that is, that is deceptively difficult to do. Um, and the fact that it's all done with no score. Uh, with only um, sound design, and there is admittedly like a lot of sound design going on in this film. Um, I, I I noticed that he actually did commission a score from Johan Johansson, who's done Arrival and a million other things, and then they just scrapped it because they decided it, it was not necessary. Um, you know, he's he's not working with a lot of ingredients, but he did man- does manage to get a lot of stimulus out of it, and I I appreciate that, but I I do think that 
even though there is a, like a, a rich variety of interpretations that people have brought out of it, um, it's why, but I'm not sure it's that deep, if that makes any sense. I think the soundscape in this movie is absolutely incredible. Like, it's unbelievable, the sound design. And I actually went to the movie on a Friday night, and it's no surprise it didn't make much money at the box office because there was only seven people seated in my theater, of which... Of the seven, four were old ladies. And all four old ladies love the movie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I love Matthew Libetic. I think that's how he pronounces his name. Libetic. I yeah. love his cinematography. And I know a lot of people have a problem with the cinematography. If it's not your thing, fine. But I think it's beautiful still. Like, I love the close-ups. I love the handheld camera work. I love the lighting. Uh, it, it, the movie itself, at least the first act, felt very theatrical. And for the majority of the film, we do get these extreme close-ups of Jennifer Lawrence. Like I said, the entire film, I think, is in her point of view, minus the few exterior shots. Like, I think, aesthetically, it resembles mostly Black Swan until we get to the second act, of which you can compare it to Requiem for a Dream at, at points. But I just, like, I love the look of the film. Like, I, I actually, I mean, there's there's something about this movie where... It's like a slow build. And for the first act, it feels like a conversation piece. It's just like four people having a conversation. Things do get out of control towards the end of the first act. But it feels very theatrical. Whereas the second half, it's just bonkers off the wall. Like like the second half feels like, I don't know if you've ever watched Michael Haneke's The Seventh Continent, which features, I think, a scene that lasts about 30 minutes in which someone just tears apart a room mixed with a war film like maybe i don't know saving private ryan or something mixed with something like brian used in a society like it's just like there's so much going on so much chaos and i've never really seen that type of filmmaking in and i hate to say it has been in a hollywood studio film because this is paramount and you know paramount is defending the movie saying that people want original films and they defend the movie despite the fact they made no money at the box office and personally like well, i i had what it made money i mean what what, what are they gonna do come out and say actually the movie was bad and it was a bad idea it, that would have been funny but i do like how they scolded viewers though saying you always want original stuff from netflix that is and true. whatever that was, and that now was we're giving you something and you're complaining exactly and 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 the thing is like i i did not know what cinema score was until yesterday but i really don't care what cinema score is i don't care if this movie has an f who the fuck cares oh, i looked actually, at the other list of movies i looked at the list of movies the 12 there's like 13 films now with a nef right and of those 13 films some of them are actually really good well and that's what i wanted to mention was when i was watching the movie obviously it didn't have a cinema score yet because it was the opening day um but when i was watching the movie i kept thinking about william friedkin's bug um <laughs> which i don't know if you've seen it patrick yeah um, i have uh which i think is a great movie actually a better one than this one is um and it's also set mostly in one room and it's all it also just has like it starts out kind of normal and then it just escalates very quickly into a into a, a really dreadful scenario there's also fire involved um and also is mostly a you know, a two-hander in terms of the actors and um I, I was thinking about bug repeatedly during this film and it wasn't until i i saw that list of cinema score f movies that it's one of those 12 movies uh, or one of those eleven movies that has an F. I guess they've been they they must have been doing it for at least ten or fifteen years because because Bug is 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 at least that old now. Yeah, Cinema um, Score's been around for a long time. 
Yeah, it and never it really F, F does not happen that much. But uh, but what I find interesting is some of those movies have have really have some things in common. Like I would say there's two or three kinds of movies that get a cinema score F. And I would kind of, I mean, to me, Bug and this movie are, are quite connected. I would throw in the box as well, the Richard Kelly movie, which I really liked and I, I still really like. I think what these movies have in common is audiences get seem to get really, really angry when things happen. And those things are not explicitly explained to them. Like, that's that seems to be like, I mean, obviously some of the movies are just very bad or very stupid. But it seems like the ones that are kind of elliptical and don't, like, necessarily spoon feed people... If it happens consistently throughout a movie, they apparently throw shit fits. Well, I mean, this one was it seemed like it was intentionally trying to make your head spin. And it really was like somebody shouting at you the entire time, especially the second half of the movie. I mean, Aronofsky is essentially just berating you with his point of view. And I think that's just liable to get people pissed off. I mean, they're going to resist. Even if, it, even if they don't quite understand what's going on, I think subconsciously things were sinking in. Regardless, like Aronofsky saying you're a piece of shit. And you all deserve to die. <laughs> so it's like, I think a bit of that is sinking in and people are reacting to that. I am surprised that the box got an F and Southland Tales did not. Bizarre. I, I actually have a question for you too. What did you think of the actual house? Because you know how, we, like, okay, for example, last week on the podcast, when I talked about the movie It with you guys, I was talking about how Stephen King does this thing where Maine is like a setting in most of his books and it plays an important role in every single one of his stories. And I was talking about like the setting of the the movie and the town in the sense that in a way it's sort of like a character in this movie the the house is somewhat of a character to the point where you know it's not just a house it's her work of art it's a monument it becomes a victim i mean to the point where everyone starts destroying the whole entire house like i just i just find it interesting like like you know because people talk about the clear obvious references to god and and cain and abel and and Adam and Eve, et cetera, et cetera. But what about the house? What is what is the house a stand-in for? Well, earth. to my mind, yeah, sure, we can say it's Earth. Uh, to my mind, the, the even before I started to clue in on the on the Mother Nature thing, sort of more directly, it's sort of the first clue that um, this is these are not you know people in the in the in the you know traditional sense because if if she was going to be like a, a traditional homemaker. You know, she'd be cooking and cleaning or whatever, but she wouldn't be building the house. You know, like the fact that she's literally like putting up walls, like bracing a sink, you know, doing everything that there is to do about the house, like literally doing everything except for, you know, the the quote important work of of writing, which Javier Bardem's character isn't even really doing. She's literally doing everything. Um, and that's really the first clue that this is not uh, this is this is not a standard depiction of like a homemaker. Well, I mean, the very first shot of the movie is magic happens. So, I mean, right off the bat, we should have been knowing that this is this is not your this is not going to just be a regular couple who's living a normal existence, a realistic existence in the wilderness. Speak for yourself. Like, I mean, he puts a crystal on a thing and the house gets brought back to life. Like <laughs> I mean, it's his house, by the way. And I think a lot of people are forgetting that in their writings on this, that they act as if the house is Jennifer Lawrence's house. She is connected to it. That is true. But it is always referred to as this is my husband's house. It is his house. Well, and, and yeah, built it. because he is the in, one who created it. Well, mm. there's no there's no buts about that. He makes the house. 
Well, he doesn't. He, he she builds the house, but it's his house. It's his home that was destroyed, and he uses her to, in order to rebuild the house. But you know, when we talk about body horror, usually we we think of someone like David Cronenberg. This film has a lot of body horror. It's just that the body horror comes from the actual house itself. Right. Yeah. The, we have that sort of like quasi vagina in the living room. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As, has, as like, one does. It has human looking orifices. Like, I mean, it has it has a bleeding heart. The house is alive. Like, it's just I just I just found the house fascinating. And in fact, I found the house the most fascinating character of the movie. Actually, um, I did. I had a I had an issue with Jennifer Lawrence, and I was talking to Simon about this. It has it has nothing to do with her performance necessarily. I have no issue with her as an actress. I think she's a fine actress. But right before I saw the movie, someone went on Twitter and tweeted to me saying that when you go see this movie, Jennifer Lawrence makes faces, lots and lots of faces. And I got to tell you, it was somewhat distracting (laughs) because she makes so many faces in this movie. And I will if I had if I had one criticism to make, it's that she goes overboard. Well, I mean, look, it became distracting for me. If you're going to have your face take up, take up the frame for 66 entire minutes while like crazy shit happens chances are you're gonna make some faces i mean yeah the... but but i think that's a problem i think she's too self-aware that the camera's right there in front of her and it's how like, can you, you know, not she's, but but she's I not bet. projecting she's not in a theater she's, she's not projecting to the people sitting like 500 seats so 500 rows away she's like the camera's right in her face like i just felt like i took that well wait a second no i took that as kind of a, an indication of her character because her character was just essentially born once you've seen the movie and you go back and you think about it afterwards like she was essentially just born she was a newborn as well like she didn't know maybe how to respond that's why she's so clueless over the entire thing she doesn't know how to respond to any of this or assert any of herself she hasn't seen anything she hasn't experienced anything and i think she's still trying to figure out how she works like what her full abilities really are that's that that could be one interpretation i mean the the unfortunate thing about this movie is that it's also coming at a bad time for Lawrence as an actress because you know there's there's a lot of backlash um against her just from the fact that you know she's won two academy awards she's been in mostly a lot of mediocre movies um in which she hasn't even necessarily been the best actor mostly because the movies themselves aren't that great and there's not necessarily a lot of great material um and you know it's not like she's made up a bunch of winter's bones since doing winter's bone there's only been one of those there's been a lot of garbage in between mostly um and i i, I just think if, if this movie existed maybe two years earlier, I'm not sure that people would be responding to the performance in that way, but obviously yeah, but Simon, I can't Simon, prove Simon, that. That has, that has nothing to do with, like, okay, like, I did admit that it came from a tweet, and that's why oh, I no, 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 I wasn't talking about it. But what I'm saying is that I don't, I don't follow all of the gossip. I'm not on Twitter, you know, sneak like i'm not i'm not on twitter interested to know like who's dating who or who's talking about who i don't care if she won an oscar because i don't care about the oscars like in all honesty i it annoys me when people go to tiff especially film critics and all they talk about is the oscars and then two weeks later they read an opinion piece about how people shouldn't care about the oscars but the point is like i did i i get what you're saying patrick but i think she overdid it that's just my own personal like problem with her in this film. It's not a deal breaker. I still like this movie, but I really found it distracting at times. Whereas Michelle Pfeiffer, who is, she's amazing. She's the scene stealer in this film. Like amazing. Ed Um, Ed Harris is pretty cool too. Ed Ed Harris is always cool as fuck. But um, also Kristen Wiig's appearance in this movie is extremely disconcerting. (laughs) 
but very anyway, distracting. Yes. The, well, and it was purposely distracting. If if yeah. you if you if you listen to Aronofsky talk about it, but um, a I, I I wasn't really talking about you in in that moment, Ricky. It's more that uh, like other people and their reactions, I think, are sort of born of things that are not necessarily in the movie. Um, but that's just my suspicion. The other thing to to consider is that um, if Aronofsky is telling the truth, like the he and Lawrence and the other actors rehearsed this film for three months. Um, whatever is on that screen and whatever is coming out of those actors is precisely what he wants. It is precisely what he's going for. This was, this was, it was not an uninvolved process. He may have written it in five days, but the production process was certainly not five days and clearly post-production wasn't either. Um, he was very meticulous in the way he, he was directing his actors here. So whatever he's going for, if you do have, if you do take issue with a performance, I think that blame should really lie with Aronofsky. But, but this is Aronofsky we're talking about. Anyone who's familiar with his filmography knows he's not a minimalist. He does not know how to hold back. He does not know how to slow things down. He's not interested in that. He loves telling his stories in outlandish ways. Look at Requiem for a Dream. Look at the punishment put on Mickey Rourke in a movie like The Wrestler or Natalie Portman in Black Swan. And even in this movie, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, cast in this movie. I mean, he put her through hell. She said she would never work with him again. She said that. I will never work with him again. Even though they're ostensibly still dating. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what you get, though, when you work for somebody like that. Look, he's an impassioned guy. I can see this was clearly a labor of love for him, perhaps more than any other movie of his that I've seen. This has got to be the most personal movie that he's ever made. I know, it was a labor of hate. A labor of hate. You're right. That's a better, much better way of describing it. And I love it for that. I I don't get to see a lot of that these days. Like, that was... It's amazing in how much he was able to... How much hate he was truly able to convey. And nobody takes that stand anymore, Simon. Actually, we, this movie we, should have been called Labor of Hate. We get too much lovey-dovey stuff these days. I wanted to see... This was good old-fashioned, like, Old Testament wrath. That's what he's spinning here. Um, but really quickly, though, I want to touch on the house and ask you guys this. I know, Rick, you said you loved the, the way this movie was shot. Did anybody else find it distractingly dim? I, I was, I did not care for the color palette whatsoever. And I was wondering how this was supposed to be, you know, her paradise when clearly outside was the far more appealing place to be uh, in the bright colors and the, the you know, the, the flowers and the green forests and everything like that. Everything was so drab inside. And I felt like there was a film over the lens or something that was making the whole place seem grayish, just ugh. did not care for it. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I think that's what makes it sort of interesting is that the outside is beautiful and the inside feels like a waking nightmare. Uh, I think that's done purposely, but the thing is the way he shot the film was you're right and you're wrong. Um, when, it's on Jennifer Lawrence's character. It's actually brightly lit. But for every character in the film that's not Jennifer Lawrence's character, he does dim the lighting. He makes it purposely dark and drab. But for her, he tried to shine more of like a light and make her like glow. Um, I don't know. I would have that to see it not again. Come off for me, but because because Matthew Libetic, like he, I love I love the cinematographer. But he he shot in 16 millimeter, I believe, like super 16. And he got like those close, those like, you know, the super close ups of her face. But yeah, he did play around with the grain. And I'm not sure if it was done in post or if it was done 
like lot like i'm sure a lot of it was touched up in post like color correction and whatnot it was weird i i just i i i had no problem with the close-ups i mean i did i actually but the, i i understood later on they were for craft like it makes you really tense right you're seeing nothing but her face as she's walking through the house we don't get to see the house that much because we're only a lot of it we're just looking at her face as she's walking over and even when we're seeing stuff over her shoulder we still don't get to see exactly what we want to see um that was very Polanski-ish to me. Uh, and I had, I like I said, I kind of had a, a love and hate with that. I, I was really annoyed by it at first. And I was like, when are they going to get off these close-ups? And then I started to actually kind of enjoy it, the rhythm of it, of her just walking through the house because so much time is spent with her just walking through the house. Um, you know, and, and eventually, like, I went back to being annoyed by it, and then I went back to loving it again, and it was just kind of a whole thing. The... Um... I think the last thing I wanted to say about this movie is that for the people who have taken this movie as sort of being autobiographical in the sense of Aronofsky's relationship to art and maybe him putting other people in his life through a hard time, um, which, again, I don't really buy, but I would buy it more with one slight difference. Um, at the very end of the film, when uh, when this mother dies and the character credited as foremother uh, shows up in the final frames of the film, uh, I, I waited around for the credits to see because that her her face looked strangely familiar to me, um, and but I didn't recognize the actress's name in the credits. But if if foremother had been played by some other famous young starlet, like if he'd gotten someone, well, I was thinking someone more Jennifer Lawrence's age because that would be weird. And in, if he had actually managed to get Rachel Weisz for that, that would have been really fucked up. <laughs> I, I I think that would have sent a definitive message too. <laughs> yeah, um, but. Yeah, no, but but I was thinking if he if he had gotten like another celebrity for that, like that would have been a really that would have been a, a quite pointed way to say to to really allow for that reading. But he didn't do that. Uh, it would have been fascinating if he had though. And, and frankly, I was halfway expecting it once I realized that was what was happening. But but Simon, we always say, or not we, but they always say, write what you know, write about you, and then expand on it. And so that's what I'm saying. Like I think he sat down, he had an idea, and he based these characters or the script or story around something that is personal to him, something he's familiar with and just expanded on it. And that's what I mean by it's just his, it's a, I really do feel like it's a pers- a deeply personal film for him as a filmmaker. Oh, like, it I is. think he's it's, I think it's there. Like, I don't rant. It, it, totally like, I, I just don't understand why you don't buy it into that. Like reading, like it's there. I'm not saying that he, he, he views himself has that have your, have your Dem character, but he does so, a little bit because he sympathizes with that character. In oh, the very I, end, there's no question there's a sympathy to the Javier Bardem character. I don't agree with that. I think that, yes, he has I'm a he creator. The it's what I do. Like in yeah. that line, I'm, I'm a creator. It's what I do. It, it, it is sympathizing with kind of the, the aloofness that Javier Bardem has been showing throughout this entire process. I don't I sympathize. Yeah, I don't know. I don't agree with that. I mean, the fact that the very last shot we have of, of Bardem's character is this deeply creepy, malevolent smile as, like, after he rips his wife's heart slash crystal out and then replaces her with a, with another young younger model. I don't know. That does not strike me as a, as a sympathetic portrait in any meaningful way. <laughs> I did not notice the creepy smile. I don't remember that. Really? I mean, it I, took no, a whole no, fucking frame. It didn't strike me that way at all when he was making the crystal. I will say this though: he got really, really upset when the when Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer broke the other crystal. He must still care about these previous. Oh yeah, he was really upset for like five minutes. Come on. Well, he locked everybody out of the Garden of Eden. I mean, his den. Um, yeah, it, it's 
he has some he obviously does care but he's he, he cares also, about his possession he doesn't care that it was his, his his former lover's heart or anything no no i don't i didn't buy that at all i i, I didn't i don't see it that way one bit i i think he cares but it's his way of caring is just different something that she can't comprehend like she loves him and he definitely loves that loves her for that but he's also interested in a, he is more interested in himself and in his creations there's there's no question about that he's not he's not interested in her at all oh sure he is he's, he's saving her constantly throughout the movie like he's pulling her out of situations yes he goes back yeah, in situations because, that he creates and does he, nothing to stop and that's the thing he doesn't see it as as much of a problem as she does and if you're taking this as like a god earth type thing like that is the that is the case. Like it's not, that's one thing that Darren Aronofsky understands probably more than any other filmmaker that I've ever seen is piety. And that was evident in Noah about a guy who is willing to do whatever we would consider to be morally wrong because it's simply the will of something bigger than him. And that I saw a lot of that in this where she just doesn't understand. She doesn't get it. And she's frustrated by that, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to the higher being. Like they're going to carry on and do what they want to do. And it's not really their problem if you don't get it. So that there was a lot of that in Noah as to how could a person destroy the world and kick people off his boat as they're screaming and dying and everything like that. Like, cause he got it. He got that. It wasn't his job to understand why everything was happening. It was just simply his job to carry it out. So I, I, I saw that in this character. Let's not, here. let's not lose sight of the fact that the real higher power here is Aronofsky, not God. Yeah, yeah and I, I, that's why I think he he's definitely sort of sympathizes with that character. I think he shows that Javier Bardem character a little bit of like that's him. That's that's kind of how he might see himself just a little bit. <laughs> he's right, a creator. If, if if he uh, if he does see himself that way, it is a deeply self hating portrait. I don't think so. I yeah, I don't see that. Really? Okay. No, no. I don't see the Javier Bardem character as negative in the slightest. I almost, <laughs> I could almost criticize Jennifer, the Jennifer Lawrence character for being just as selfish as the human she wants to kick out. What? She, does she, she wants, what does she do that's selfish? She literally does she, everything for him. She wants him all to herself. Where? Oh. Well, no, no. Actually, it's funny because, um, like I, I, I've heard that criticism too, and the fact that she's so obsessed with the house and how everything has to be perfect, and she oh, cares way. more about we the house. We just said the actual... the whole, we just said it was Earth. Why would she not be obsessed with Earth? I'm saying that I've heard that criticism before. But she <laughs> wants him. All, she wants Earth and him all to herself, with nobody else there. She wants everybody gone. She wants it. It's it's ours. I want to be with you. She just wants it all to herself, her way. Whereas he is willing Everyone to go with the shows flow. shows up is creepy. He goes with the... That's from her perspective, as no, Rick has said. No, that's from the perspective. Javier yeah. Bardem's perspective is he finds these people interesting. Like he, they're he, creepy. He... They're obviously <laughs> creepy. Yeah, but Simon, we're dealing with the unreliable narrator. So yes, we, we really exactly don't know right. what's what in this film. I, I mean, I've heard that criticism, or I should say I've read that criticism, and it, it, it's an interesting like way to view the film. Also, in terms of like Javier Bardem's character, like he doesn't really inflict harm on anyone. He doesn't do anything to stop these people from entering their home. He and, invites and everyone he, in. That is an action. He goes with the flow everything. Kind of he, he right. sort of just goes with the flow because he only invites a couple people and then more people just start showing up and he doesn't yeah, stop. He brings them there through his dumb art. 
because he's trying to bring a life <laughs> into the house, Simon. A life. Life, exactly. Life, Simon, is far yeah, but more isn't the whole point nothing. of this movie that life is bad? Yeah, I think his whole point. No, well, you know, here's the thing. So I interpret the ending as Aronofsky basically finding beauty in the cycle. Yes, we are all creatures that should be wiped clean from the face of the earth, but it's just going to start again, and there's kind of a beauty in that. He's just going to make. Hold on, where is it in the Bible that it's going to start again? That's not in the Bible. Well, there isn't. There isn't one, but that's I think his. I mean, there's courts, there sort of is, because the flood, right? So halfway through the movie, we talked about this being in two parts, right? Yeah, but the there's flood, no flood, there's fire. There, No, the flood happens halfway through the movie, and he kicks everybody out of the house. That's essentially the flood, where you, he wiped out humanity, right? And banished, and got them all away from Earth. So that when they when they break, when they break the sink, and the water sprays everywhere, and he kicks everybody out of the house, finally he takes some action and kicks everybody out of the house. That's the flood right there, and he's getting rid of humanity. But it just comes back. He didn't kick them out of the house. She's the one that kicked them out of the house. No, he just no, didn't he does. stop them from leaving. I think he he's the one that gets them out of the house once the water is broken. He said, okay, you're right. Everybody out. Yeah, yeah. She wants Yeah, a little bit listening too fucking to late, by the Dude, way. Nobody listens to her throughout the entire movie. And that's his other thing. Like, nobody listens to Earth, you know, Mother Earth and what Earth is trying to tell us and that kind of stuff, too. Like, we just took deaf ear, right? But anyway, yeah, I, I see him. That's like a bit of the cyclical thing. Like, okay, everybody was there. They partied it up. They destroyed everything. He kicked them out. Then they come back. He lets them come back. They destroy everything. This time, the Earth wipes everything out. He'll just do it again because that's what he does. And but, the cycle continues think, on. I still think, despite all the biblical imagery, like, it really is pretty garden variety nihilism really like i i, I realize that it, it, it may be coming from a spiritual place or from a from a, from a place of spiritual reference but the core of the movie is pretty simple no he seems to be very anti-religion but i i think he's telling it in the version of that story well, yeah he's definitely against humanity i think just there's a, there's a slight bit of, of for, for a guy who's for a guy who's not religious, he's now made at least four movies that feature a hell of a lot of religious imagery. <laughs> he must just like the the idea of it. I mean, it is, you know, there's archetypes. Mythological archetypes are very powerful. I mean, look, the moral of the story is Michelle Pfeiffer's character is the only good character in this movie. She's the sexiest character in this movie. <laughs> and I'm not afraid to admit that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she, she's very good. I like Ed Harris in this movie, too. He's very interesting. He's a total dick, but he's very... Look, he's just Ed Harris. He does yeah. the Ed Harris thing. Just <laughs> a little bit more dickish than usual. Anyway. And I like Javier Bardem's character. I side with that guy. He knew what was going on. Uh, well, the listeners may want to consider that. In fact, anyway. I think Mother is the most unlikable character in this movie. I mean, other than just like your garden variety human jerks. <sighs> I'm just going to leave that there and not touch that with a 10-foot pole. Anyway, the movie is called Mother. Do we have anything else we want to talk about before we wrap this up? I don't know. I, I, I like the movie. I like the movie quite a bit. I struggled with the movie, but it's my least favorite film from the filmmaker. But one of your favorites of the year. Well, I like horror movies. Um, I still think my favorite movie of the year is a movie Patrick Hates, which is Get Out. Yeah. I think it's my favorite. I'm not saying it's the best movie of the year, but it's my favorite so far. Let me ask you guys a question before we end the podcast. What yep. do you prefer, it or this film? Oh, this film. It's no me. question. But yeah. I like it quite a bit. I just preferred to watch and, uh, I watched this again. 
as I've I, I said this somewhere else, like you, if you saw Mother and It on the same day, you might very well prefer It, and the average audience will certainly pre- prefer It. But you'll remember Mother a fuck of a lot longer. Dude, the best thing about Mother is being able to talk about Mother. Like that really is the the best part of this movie. Yeah, well, that and you know Michelle Pfeiffer. Anyway, the movie is called Mother. I'm sure people have opinions. I know I have opinions. Uh, so do hit us up on uh, on the Twitters, on the comments on this post, uh, or anything really, and feel and feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes uh, if you have thoughts, if you're angry, if you're happy. Uh, do let us know. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Hollowminds, spelled like it sounds. Uh, you can find Ricky run, running the at Sorted Cinema Twitter at Wrong. No, wrong. damn it. Oh, no, that's me wrong. Okay, no, okay, so I'm tr- okay, so here's the thing. I just want to quickly say this. I like I'm trying to be on Twitter like I- I'm trying to use Twitter on a daily basis. I've had this thing where I didn't really like Twitter, so now I'm on Twitter all the time. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Goomba Stomp Mag M A G. Goomba Stomp Mag. Patrick is sorted cinema. Yeah, and I'm terrible okay. at it right now, but I'm going to try to get better. All right. Uh, all right. That's just about it from us. Uh, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more TIFF. Uh, there's some more stuff coming out. Lots of stuff. Always, always more stuff. Thank y'all for the chat, and we'll talk to y'all later. Mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? Mother, do you think they'll like this song? Mother, do you think they'll try to break my balls? Gonna keep baby cold.